0: Well, good morning, church. Man, what a great time of worship we've had this morning. We are right in the heart of our series called Overcoming Spiritual Vertigo. From the very beginning, we define spiritual vertigo as anything that comes into our life or anything that we bring into our life that causes us to spiritually get knocked off balance or to feel like life spiritually is spinning out of control. And out of the gate, we looked at the writer of Hebrews, and we saw that the the only way to really overcome spiritual vertigo is by doing several things. One is by laying aside the weighty things in life, like broken relationships, like the hardships we go through, like the death and loss that we experience in life. We need to lay those weighty things aside. We also need to lay aside the sinful things in our lives that easily entangle us and trip us up. And ultimately, to overcome spiritual vertigo, we have to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Now, as we jumped into a, a couple of weeks ago, we jumped into a question that maybe is a question we don't think about often enough. Maybe it's a question that we should ask ourselves more after we hear a message or after we open God's word. And it's this question, what happens if I don't do this? So if we know what it takes to overcome spiritual vertigo, what is the potential impact on my life if I do absolutely Nothing. If I let the vertigo continue, if I let the weighty things stay, if I let the sinful things stay in my life, what is the impact it could have in my life? And what we discovered over the last couple of weeks is on one hand, it could lead us down a path that would shatter our faith. When we allow those weighty things to sit there and stay, that eventually it can crush us and shatter our faith. Or it could lead us down a path of idolatry. So when we let those weighty things and that sin stay in our life, those things become the priorities of our life. Those things become the things that we cling to more than anything else and they become the ultimate focus of our lives. And in that moment, when they become the priority and the focus in that moment, that is idolatry. So if we allow spiritual vertigo to continue, if we allow these things to go unaddressed and fixing our eyes on Jesus, if we do nothing, here's what it will do for us. It will either lead us down a path of shattered faith or will lead us down a path of idolatry? Now, here's a question I want us to ask that will shape us for the next four weeks as we kind of hit the home run stretch of our series. And it's this question, but what if I do? In other words, if I know what it takes to overcome spiritual vertigo, What if I do exactly what the writer of Hebrews told me to do? What if I lay aside the weighty things? What if I lay aside the sinful things? What if I fix my eyes on Jesus? What will that produce in my life if I do the very things that I've been told to do? And I think it produces a lot of things in our lives. Four things in particular. The first one I want to look at today, and it's this. Is that when we truly fix our eyes on Christ, and we put aside the weighty things, and we put aside the sinful things, one thing that will produce in our lives it will produce a courage to live by faith. It will produce a courage to live by faith, to live by faith in a world that's faithless, to live by faith in a world that seems hopeless, to live by faith in a world that is not for God but is against God, To to live by faith in a world that's continually trying to get us to compromise our faith, See, if we truly put our eyes on Christ and put aside those things, it will give us the courage to live by faith. Probably one of the best biblical examples I can think of is when Peter walked on water. You probably remember the story. Jesus shows up on the sea. The disciples see him, they think it's a ghost. And that they finally recognize who it is. And Peter said, Jesus, can I come be with you? And Jesus says, come on, Pete, and come out into the water. And what does Peter do? He walks on the water. Well, think about that for a moment. Where were the eyes of Peter in that moment? They were on Jesus, weren't they? And because his eyes were on Jesus, Peter was able to take a step of faith like he'd never taken before. He was walking on water, Right? And then we know the rest of the story. He took his eyes off Jesus and he began to sink. But here's the point, is that when we truly put our eyes on Christ, it gives us the courage to live by faith. The courage to live in such a way where we truly trust the Lord. So if that's true for us, and it is, what does living by faith look like? If it truly gives us the courage, putting our eyes on Christ, gives us the courage to live in this world, this sinful, broken world, and to live by faith, what does a life living by faith look like? So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews, and I'm going to be in chapter 11 today. Now, if you know anything about the book of Hebrews, chapter 11 is kind of the, it's not the hall of fame, it's the hall of faith. I mean, there's a story after story after story of people who are faithful. And today we're going to look at a guy by the name of Abraham and look at his journey through the, the story in Hebrews that we see. And what we're going to find out is this, is that, 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 that focusing on Christ gives us the courage to live by faith. And we're going to find out three things that living by faith looks like. And the first one is this, it's a life of obedience. Living by faith is a life lived in obedience. Look with me in verse 8 of chapter 11. It says this, by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. Now, it says there, as he was called or when he was called. Literally, the Greek translation should, could be there while he was being called. So here's the thing about Abraham. Abraham all we know about him up to this point is he was probably a pagan because of where he was from. We have no, record, we have no indication, no historical, historical data that tells us that he was a follower of Yahweh, he was a follower of Jehovah, he was a follower of God. He was a pagan. And yet God shows up and God speaks to Abraham. And he says, listen, I want you to pack your stuff up and I want you to go. And I'll let you know when you get there. And see, for Abraham here, what we see is it says, while he was called. And the idea of that is this is that when Abraham heard the voice of God, he immediately was obedient. It almost carries the idea in the original language that he was actually, as God is speaking, he's already beginning to be obedient. We don't know if he was already packing stuff while like God was speaking. We don't know if there was just a resolve in his heart that he was going to do it. But while God is speaking, the creator of the universe is talking to Abraham. There's this immediate sense of obedience in Abraham's life. In fact, the full story happens in Genesis chapter 12. Let's turn there. Genesis chapter 12 verses one through four, and we see this story play out. It says, now the Lord said to Abram, or Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to a land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and those who dishonor you I will curse, and in you the families of the earth shall be blessed. So God says to Abraham, listen, I want you to leave everything you know, and I want you to set out on a journey, and I'll let you know when you get there. But here's what I'm going to do for you, Abraham. I'm going to make you a father of a great nation. I'm going to give you an inheritance that will blow your kid's mind, but I need you to follow me. And see, for Abraham, what we see in the story is that he immediately followed God. He immediately did what was asked of him. There was no 20 questions. There was never a moment where Abraham goes, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. Now, who did you say you were? what are you asking me to do? You're not gonna tell me where I'm, there was never a moment in the story that we see Abraham questioning God. Now here's why I bring that up, because that's not how you and I typically respond. When we feel God nudging us or leading us or guiding us to make a decision, I don't know about you, but I have a lot of questions, right? A lot of questions about the why, the what, the how. I have a lot of questions, but do we see that in the story of Abraham? No. For Abraham, it was about, living a life of faith was all about a life of obedience, immediate obedience. In fact, if you look at the story, what we find out is, it says that he didn't even know where he was going. Now, we've talked about this before, and it's one of those parts of the story that I find extremely fascinating, that God says, Abraham, I want you to pack your stuff, leave your family, and I want you just to go, and I'll let you know when you show up. Well, none of us take vacations that way, do we? And if we do, that's probably a really terrible vacation, right? But let me put it in context for our lives. It's almost as if God had said to you, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to sell your house. I want you to load all up your, your belongings in your U-Haul. And I want you to go west. And I'll let you know when you arrive at the destination I have for you. Now, here's a quick question for you. How inclined are you to follow that? Most of us go, wait a minute, wait a minute. Before I do that, okay, God, I'm not saying I won't do it, but here's what I do, God. I need to see the full picture. I want to know where you're going to land me, how am I going to provide for my family, how is this going to impact my 401K, how is it going to impact my financial stability. God, I, I want to see the ripple effect of this. I'm not saying I won't do it, God. What I'm saying is I want to see the ripple effect of this. Now, was that the heart of Abraham? Not at all. Abraham was said, pack it up and go, and Abraham Just did it. See, for Abraham, it was, okay, creator of the universe, you say go, I'm going. You tell me to move, I'm moving. See, for Abraham, where he went was immaterial. Where God put him didn't matter. All that mattered to Abraham was instantaneous obedience. All Abraham was concerned with was this. Listen to this. He was only concerned with taking the next right step. That's it for Abraham. It wasn't about seeing the big picture. He didn't say, okay, what do you mean that I'll be a, a numerous nation? What do you mean my name will be great? What do you mean you're going to give me inheritance that will blow my descendants? So he didn't ask any of that. All he knew is that a sovereign God spoke. And when he spoke, he's like, I'm in. When he spoke, he's like, I'm going to obey. All Abraham cared about was taking the next right step. And that was it. Now, I say that because of this. I think that's where I struggle the most, and maybe you struggle the most. It's when God asks us to do something, and we want to back off and go, okay, God, I'm not saying I won't do it, but what I am saying is I need to know how this thing fleshes out. I need to know how this thing ripples out if I truly do what you're telling me to do. God, what you're asking me is huge, and I'm not saying I won't do it. I'm just saying Can you at least paint a picture of what this is going to look like? And maybe what we need to do is just say, okay, Lord, you've asked me to do something. All I'm concerned with is this, taking the next right step. Can you imagine how our lives might look different if when God called us out and God led us and God nudged us to do something, if we were only concerned with taking the next right step. Maybe that's God saying, I want you to share the gospel with a coworker. I want you to go share the gospel with your neighbor. Instead of us backing up and going, okay, God, well, what happens if they don't want to listen? What happens if they reject me? What happens, what happens, what happens? What if we quit doing that and just said, okay, God, you told me to do this. I'm just going to take the next right step. I'm going to go talk to that neighbor. I'm going to talk to that coworker. And I'm just going to simply say, God told me I need to come share something with you. Now, I don't even know what I'm going to say after that, but I'm going to take the next right step. See, that's what Abraham did. Now, think about what he gave up. I mean, he literally had to forsake everything. He had to leave his birthplace, his home, some family, and ultimately he had to give up financial security. Abraham was a wealthy man. Abraham had a lot of stuff, and he walked away from all of it. And with all that God asked him to do, the Bible lets us know that Abraham... Did it. Abraham was obedient. Now, here's a question I, I think we have to ponder. When I look at this story so far, when I see that God has called Abraham and said, I want you to go, and I'm not going to tell you where you're going to go. I'll let you know when you get there. When you look at this story, do you look at it and do you have a feeling of, okay, on one hand, I think it's extreme and it probably would cause stress to my life if God had done that to me? Or do you look at the story and go, yeah, it seems extreme. But it's also inspiring. When I say God call people that way and people respond, it inspires me to want to live with that kind of faith. Which way do you feel like you view this passage? And here's why I ask it: is because how you view it is probably an indicator of how you will respond or have responded when God calls you. See if you think it's extreme and stressful, you're probably the person that will struggle with obedience. If you think it's extreme but inspiring, you're probably the person that goes, I'm in. So how do you see this? See in this passage here's what we see that living by faith that living by faith is living a life of unconditional obedience. Did you get that? Living a life of faith is living a life of unconditional obedience. It's living a life that is more consumed with following what God says rather than understanding what God has said. Does that make sense? It's a life consumed with following what he's told me to do rather than trying to understand what he's told me to do. And see, when we live a life of obedience, our obedience is screaming and saying to God, God, I trust you and I trust your ways. So living a life of faith is about living a life of obedience. It's also about living a life of patience. Look at me in verse 9. Verse 9, it says this. By faith, he, Abraham, went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. Now, here's the story. If you go back to Genesis, here's what's happened. Abraham is on the mountain in Bethel, and God says, Abraham, look, look as far north as you can, look as far south, look as far east and west. Everything you can see will belong to your descendants. I mean, this was a mountain that he could have seen hundreds and hundreds of miles away. And God says, it's all gonna to belong to your people, Abraham. But here's the interesting thing. If you go back and read the story, did Abraham live in the land of promise as an owner of anything? No. He lived as an alien in a land that God had given him, in the land that God was going to give his descendants. He lived as a foreigner there. He never built a city. He never built a home. The only thing Abraham ever owned was a plot, a burial plot for his wife Sarah. That's all he ever owned. He never did any of those kinds of things. He only owned one piece of small land, and he bounced around from tent to tent to tent with Jacob and Isaac. Now, if you're Abraham and God has made this promise, is that a little bit frustrating to you? Sure it is. God has said, I'm gonna give you all this land, but yet I'm living as an alien and a stranger in it, and I don't have a home, I don't have a fortress, I don't have land that I call my own. I'm living in tents. If anybody could have been frustrated with the Lord, it could have been Abraham, but he wasn't. You know what Abraham was? He was patient with the Lord. And his patience was reflected in his faithfulness to the Lord. Now here's something about the story I don't want you to miss. Did Abraham ever see this promise come to full fruition? He didn't. But it did come to fruition. If you look in the book of Joshua... You will see several hundred years after Abraham, after Moses, a guy named Joshua takes the people of God, the Israelites, and he leads them into the promised land. And knowing that they go into the promised land, they occupy the land that God had promised. And at the end of the book of Joshua, each one is given different allotments. And now for finally, since God made the promise to Abraham hundreds of years ago, that promise comes to full fruition. Why? Abraham was patient with the Lord. See, a life of faith, hear me, a life of faith is also not just a life of obedience, it's a life of patience with the Lord. Now, you know when most of our patience is tried, it's when we pray, isn't it? Because we pray with things that we want God to do, we pray with things that we ask God to step into, we pray for things that we ask God to show himself in, and usually there's one of three responses we get. We get a yes, we get a no, but for Doug in my life, I feel like most of the time I'm getting what? Wait. Not yet. And in that moment, I have to make a decision. Am I going to take matters into my own hands, or am I going to be patient and realize that God's timing is always perfect, that God's ways are better than my ways, that God's plan is better than my plan? See, a life of faith is a life of patience that causes me to stay faithful to the Lord, but it also causes me to stay focused on what matters most. You know what mattered most to Abraham? Look with me in verse 10. It says this, for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Do you know what Abraham looked forward to? You ready? Being with the Lord forever and all eternity. He looked forward to heaven Despite the promise God had made, despite all that God had done for him, despite the fact he was in the land but didn't own the land, despite that God was going to bring that to fruition hundreds of years later, Abraham was still focused on the most important thing, and is that one day, as I live a life of faith, one day when this life ends, I will spend forever and ever and ever with my God in heaven. And I think the same thing's true for us. When we exhibit patience in our life, trusting that God's timing and his plans are perfect, what we're doing is not only staying faithful, but we're saying, Lord, I want to keep my eyes focused on the most important thing. And here it is, that one day when I leave this temporal earth, I'm going to be with you forever. And what a moment. What a hope that we have in that. See, when we live a life of patience, we are saying, God, I trust you. I trust your promises, and I trust your timetable. So a life of faith is a life of obedience. It's also a life of patience. And lastly, it's a life of sacrifice. Look with me in verse 17 and 18. The writer of Hebrews comes back to Abraham, and he says this. He says, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac and he who had received the promise was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Now here's, here's the story. Genesis 15, God promises Abraham a seed, a son, an heir. And then if you scroll down a few more chapters, we find out that in 25 years later, God brought that promise to fruition. Abraham is now 100 years old, and he has a son. But not long after his son is around, and a few years later, in Genesis chapter 22, God tells Abraham, you know that son that I gave you? Yes, Lord, I want you to take him to Mount Moriah, and I want you to sacrifice him to me. Now, wait a minute. God made him a promise, a son, and now God is saying, I want that son to be Sacrificed. See, for you and I, when we think about it, I've got questions, don't you? Not Abraham. Abraham takes his son and he goes up to Mount Moriah and they build an altar and he places his son on that altar and as he lifts the knife to sacrifice his son, just in that moment of faithfulness and obedience to the Lord, all of a sudden an angel cries out, Abraham, Abraham, don't lay a finger on that boy. And Abraham turns and he sees a ram that was provided that was stuck in the thicket. And Abraham goes and he grabs that ram and he takes his son off the altar and he puts the ram on the altar and that ram becomes a substitute sacrifice for his son. Now, wait a minute, just a parenthesis here. That is one of the most beautiful Old Testament pictures of exactly what Jesus has done for us. We deserve death, hell, and the grave, but Jesus is our substitute. Jesus took our place, bearing our sin, so that we could have a relationship with Almighty God. Now, when you look at the story of Abraham, there may be some of you going, wait a minute, Doug. When I look at this, I can't believe that God would ask him to sacrifice his own son. Now, think with me just for a moment. Isn't everything God asked Abraham to do hasn't been a test? hasn't it? I mean, think about the test of obedience. See, Abraham's response to God saying, Abraham, pack stuff up and go, that would have been a reflection of Abraham's trust in the Lord. And then God tested him with patience. He made a promise, but it didn't come to wish for years and years and years later. And the way that Abraham responded to that moment would have been a reflection of how much he was going to cling to the Lord. And then with his son, this was also a test. A test to sacrifice his son. And how Abraham responded was going to be a picture and reflection of how much Abraham loved the Lord. See, Abraham had been through a lifetime of tests. And with each test, his response was a reflection of how much he trusted, how much he would cling to God, and how much he loved the Lord. And then we see the ultimate Result of his love in verse 19. Look with me in verse 19. Look what it says. He considered, Abraham considered, that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Now, it's interesting here, this ultimate picture of love that Abraham has for God is reflected in Abraham's mindset. Abraham so loved God because here's what Abraham knew, that despite everything that's happened, God is faithful. I love him, I adore him, I worship him because the God I love has rescued me and he is faithful. Yes, on one hand, God has given me a promise of a seed, a son, an heir. And yes, on the other hand, he's told me to sacrifice that son. And when you put the two together, it makes no sense, right? But Abraham, all he knew was this. I'm going to obey the Lord and trust him because I know that he's faithful. In fact, if you go back and read the story in Genesis 22, Abraham tells his servants before he takes Isaac up on the mountain, he said, Isaac, my son and I, we're going to go worship the Lord and we will be back Abraham wasn't sure how it was going to happen. And the writer Hebrew Hebrews says Abraham even thought that maybe God was going to resurrect his son. It didn't matter. But all Abraham knew is this, is that I have so much love for the Lord that I'm willing to sacrifice anything he asks me because I know that he is faithful. And if he promised it, he's a God who keeps his promises. So Abraham, even as he took Isaac and laid him on the altar, somehow he knew this loving God was going to give him his son back. Man, when I read that story of Abraham, I'm thinking, man, that's extraordinary faith, isn't it? And do we have the kind of faith? Do we have the kind of faith that says, Lord, I will sacrifice whatever you ask of me? Now, I know some of you are watching going, yeah, I would. Well, think about it for a moment. Would you really? I mean, are you, do we have the kind of faith that says, Lord, I'm willing to sacrifice whatever you ask me. I'm willing to sacrifice my career. I'm ready to sacrifice my home. I'm willing to sacrifice my friendships. I'm willing to sacrifice anything you ask me, Lord. Do we really mean that? See, our willingness to sacrifice for the Lord is telling him and says to him, Lord, I trust you with everything. I trust you with everything. See, what I want us to know this morning is this, that living a life of faith is a life of obedience, it's a life of patience, and it's a life of sacrifice. And the reality for all of us is, I think living this kind of life, if we're honest, it's a struggle, isn't it? See, some of us have this fear of the unknown. We want God to paint the whole picture, but really all we need to do is just take the next right step. Some of us have this fear of losing control. We don't like being out of control. We don't like waiting on the Lord. We want to operate in our timetable with our plans and with our purposes. We struggle. And some of us are afraid. Listen, some of us struggle with this because we are afraid of what is God really going to ask me to give up, right? What is God really going to ask me to give up? Well, here's what I want to challenge us with this morning. If we are truly going to fix our eyes on Jesus, when we do that, he alone will give us the courage to live a life of faith, a life of obedience, a life of patience, and a life of sacrifice. So here's the question we all have to answer. What is God calling us to do today? What is God calling us to do? Is he calling you to a greater level of obedience? Has he been nudging you and prompting you and putting things in your life because he wants you to do something? He wants you to, to take a step? I mean, I mean, maybe, maybe what we need to commit to is a, is a greater step of obedience this morning. And all we need, need to do is not know the whole story, not know the whole ripple effect, but we just need to commit to taking the next right step. And doing what the Lord asks us to do. Maybe we need a greater level of patience. Maybe there's some things going on in our life and we've been praying and we've been praying and we've been praying and what we need to do is realize that maybe right now God's in a season of saying, hold on, wait, I'm not there yet. And all we need to do is to commit to cling to him more, to hold fast to him. Or maybe we need to commit to a greater level of sacrifice. Maybe there's some things in our lives that we need to give up that we've been holding on to And we need to commit to that. So what is the Lord calling us to do today? Now, as you think about your answer, I want you to know this. Our response, our response to obey, our response to be patient, our response to be willing to sacrifice, our response, listen, our response, like Abraham, is a reflection. It's a reflection of how much we trust the Lord. It's a reflection of how much we're going to cling to the Lord. It's a reflection of how much we love the Lord. So for those of that are followers of Christ, what is he calling us to do today? And will we make that commitment? But maybe there's somebody watching who doesn't have a personal relationship with Christ. And the one message I want you to hear today is that Jesus took your place. It was in the story of Abraham and Isaac. Because we sin and rebel against a holy God, we deserve punishment. But God so loved us that he sent his son and his son who lived a sinless perfect life took your punishment, took my punishment and paid a debt that we could never pay by dying on the cross. And all we have to do is to receive that this morning. I say, saying, Lord, I admit that I'm a sinner. And I believe with everything in me that Jesus is the Son of God, the Savior of the world, and he took my place. And today I confess him as Lord and master of my life. Will you be faithful to make that decision if you need to? My prayer is that however the Lord's leading us, that we would be faithful to respond. Let's pray together. Father God, I love you. I thank you for this passage. I thank you for the story of Abraham. And God, I pray for us today that we would would simply ask ourselves the question, okay, if there's spiritual vertigo in my life and I do what the writer of Hebrews told me to do, what's that gonna produce? And that we would realize today, Lord, that what it produces is a courage to live by faith, the courage to live a life of obedience, a life of patience, and a life of sacrifice. God, I pray for those that are watching that are believers. We live in a world that is broken. We live in a world where there's a lot of hate. But you've called us to live by faith, to live trusting you. And God, I want to be honest, that's hard sometimes. But we know that if we will fix our eyes on Jesus, that he alone will give us the courage to live a way that's pleasing to you. So God, I pray for believers, we would make some decisions this morning. We might step up to a greater level of obedience, a greater level of patience, a greater level of sacrifice, and that we would realize in our response is a reflection of how much we trust you, how much we cling to you, and how much we truly love you. And then I pray for that person, Lord, that's watching, that's never surrendered their life. May you overwhelm them with the price that Jesus paid And may they surrender to you. God, we love you. We thank you. We celebrate you. And this morning, we lift the name of Jesus above every other name. For it's in your precious and holy son's name we pray. Amen.